You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Thank you again for joining us here at Grab Them by the Pod. I am Kevin along with Jesse. And once again, for the second time in a matter of weeks, we must start the show on a bit of a somber note. Yes, and I hate to start out these shows this way. It's so depressing. It's so sad. Uh, these things still happen in this day and age. Uh, and also, please forgive my voice. I'm a little sick today, so my voice is a little gravelly. Perhaps you'll find it a little sexy. But uh, no, the, the sad news we were going to talk about was, of course, last night's shooting in Las Vegas. Uh, Sunday night, Stephen Craig Paddock opened fire at a country music festival in Vegas. Uh, apparently there were at different points there were 30,000 people at the Route 91 Harvest Festival and that Jason Aldean was actually on stage when the shooting began. Um, it's, it's been going up, unfortunately, but uh, last we heard 58 people uh, had been killed and I think over 500 people have been injured. Um, this happened right by the Mandalay Bay uh, uh, Hotel Casino. Uh, apparently, Paddock, uh, who was 64 years old, he's from Nevada, um, was named by the police as a shooter. He was uh, later, I think he killed himself, actually, before the police could break into his room. And I actually just read an article saying that his father was a bank robber wanted by the FBI. So this is a, a problem that goes down through the family, it seems. Well, I had had the opportunity to watch an interview with his brother earlier today who spoke of the fact that, you know, it was only within the last year that Mr. Paddock moved to Nevada from Florida, Melbourne, Florida. Uh, and just within the last two weeks, he had been in communication with his family. There was brother uh, asking about their mother, who was without power due to Hurricane Irma, uh, checking in on them, seemingly normal stuff. And again, as many times is the case with these events, after the fact, people say, well, like, well, I never thought he would do this. It didn't seem like something he would he do. He was so never quiet. Knew he owned guns. He was so quiet. Well, something had to be there. People don't tend to just, you know, break their trigger this quick without some sort of sign. So I wonder what it was that might have been missed by members of his family or members of his community that perhaps could have alerted us to this before such a tragic thing had to happen. Well, every time this kind of stuff happens, the question is, is it a mental health issue? Is it a gun control issue? It, it very well could be both. Um, as of now, it looks like he was a lone shooter. Like he did, didn't have anybody backing him. Although for some reason, the Islamic State is claiming responsibility and saying that he was one of their people. But you know, they're just being opportunistic. There's really no proof whatsoever that this guy was at all connected to them. Um, but as I was just mentioning, this, this brings the the gun control issue right to the forefront. Uh, Elizabeth Warren today said, you know, thoughts and prayers are just not enough. Um, our Senator Chris Murphy said it's time for Congress to get off its ass and do something. And the White House response was uh, from Sarah Huckabee Sanders was that you know, now is not the time for a gun debate. Well, if not now, when? I can think of no better way to honor the people who were killed in what is becoming the worst shooting in American history. No better way to honor them than to pass legislation to make sure that this doesn't happen again to other innocent people. Or to honor all of those who have come before these victims in Las Vegas. You know, the, the number of mass shootings has only increased exponentially in the last 10 to 15 years. And what better time, as you said, Jess, than now? Right? This is when we need to have the conversation, because as we see, it's going to continue to happen with a lack of reasonable, responsible gun control. You know, it's not wrong to try to prevent 
these things from happening again by using common sense legislation. Nothing wrong with that. Some people may be turned off by Senator Murphy saying, get off its ass. But just remember, he comes from a state – our state, where just a few years ago we saw this happen at Sandy Hook, where lots of children, where someone we actually went to college with, we didn't really know her, but I, I found out I was actually in at least one class with her at some point, uh, was was killed. They were out there shooting people. This isn't a question about taking people's gun. You know, we remember the Charlton Heston quote, you can take my gun from my cold, dead hands. We're not trying to take people's guns. We're trying to make sure that people who have um, psychological issues, who are violent, these people don't get guns to begin with. And whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, it shouldn't matter. You shouldn't want people who are unstable to have guns. That should be something that everybody can get behind. Well, you know what? Charlton Heston is dead now. So maybe it's time to take the gun from his hand. And maybe it's time to look at what is common sense. You know, according to the latest Gallup poll numbers, it suggests that 55 percent of Americans want stricter gun laws. You know, that's not a it's not a mandate by any means, but it's more than half of this country wants stricter gun laws. And the way democracy works and Donald Trump should know this because, you know, this is how elections work too. 50 percent plus one means a majority. And so the majority of Americans want stricter gun laws, according to the Pew Research Center. 85% of Americans are for background checks at gun shows and private sales. 79% are for preventing mentally ill people from buying guns. And 57% even back a ban on assault-style weapons, such as the type that seem to have been used in Las Vegas. So what's the harm if that much of the American population wants to see some reasonable gun control? What's the harm in actually acting on it? There's none. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt because guns, they don't play a part in my life. I have no need for a gun in my life. I don't want to have a gun. It's, it's not because I'm, like, I'm anti-gun. I just I don't need a gun. Like, it's not part of my everyday living. Um, but I do have some people in my family who feel very strongly, you know, they're, whether they're police officers um, or want for protection. And they seem very gung-ho about guns. You know, and good for them. Like, you know, that's, that's their prerogative. Um, but I hope... At the next family gathering, if this comes up as, you know, these topics tend to do after a drink or two at Thanksgiving or things like that, that we can have a civilized debate and say, you know what, I understand you like guns because you want it for protection. You think it's, it's your right. But you should understand that not everybody has that right. When, when, when you can't be trusted with a dangerous weapon, you should forfeit your right to be able to have that weapon. Well, it's interesting, Jess, that you bring up that point um, about not having guns in your life, and therefore it's not something uh, that you think about too much. CNN today put out uh, some really interesting statistics. Uh, They had like eight different charts, I believe it was, showing the gun divide in this country and the percentage of people who grew up with guns or have guns in their household versus the percentage that don't and how they feel about gun control legislation. You know, it, it makes perfect sense. If you've grown up around guns, you're more likely to believe that it's your Second Amendment right to have them and you don't want to see it trampled on. And if you grew up without guns in the home, then you look at it more skeptically. Um, But certainly one of the other statistics that stood out to me was that in the last 20 or so years, the reason for people owning guns has changed. You mentioned protection. And 20 to 25 years ago, forgive me, I'm kind of paraphrasing this here. I don't have the chart in front of me. But in years past... The number one reason for Americans to own guns was for hunting. And we're only talking, we're not talking 100 years ago, we're talking 20, 25 years ago. People owned guns mostly for hunting. Uh, at least that's what they self reported. Now, 
the majority of gun owners own it for protection. And I just have to wonder, what exactly is it protection from? You know, the Second Amendment seemed to speak of protection from a tyrannical government. That's not exactly the case in this country. Whether you agree with our government or not, it's not tyrannical. So what are you protecting yourself from? And does the Second Amendment honestly speak to that? Does it actually cover what you're protecting yourself from? The Second Amendment, and I can't believe we're actually getting into this because that could be a big can of worms open. I mean, it was written at a very specific time, and things have changed. And I'm not trying to say it should be taken away, but you know, we don't need to form a militia these days. It's not, yeah, you know, we're not like trying to fight uh, against our government. I guess some people may be trying to fight against our government, um, but it, it's just a different world. Um, I'm not trying to be funny here when I say this. That if I had a gun. I would end up shooting myself, like, I'm, not on purpose, but on that, you know, I'd drop it or I'd, I'd be too cavalier with that. I just know I'm, I'm such a klutz when it comes to, the, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that rather than taking two trips, I'll try carrying everything at once and everything just goes flying in the air. And I, I, I have a baseball bat next to my bed, and I always joke, oh, I'll probably end up hurting myself with that too. Um, so, and and you have to be careful. If you do have guns for protection, um, and, you know, and more power to you if you do, that you properly store it because kids can easily get into that stuff. Uh, it's We've seen it time and time again. I ju- it just happened a week ago, I think, where some kid took a, a gun out of his grandmother's purse and shot himself. I mean, these things happen daily. So uh, if you're going to have something that dangerous, you have to show it the, re- the respect it deserves. Well, lest any of our listeners uh, get concerned that Jesse might hurt himself with his baseball bat <laughs> by his bed, uh, he's well-trained in the use of the baseball bat for self-defense. I watched him use it and test it in the local Kmart <laughs> when he bought it. Uh, so, you know, just to add some levity to our no, serious I, I tend to believe I'll wake up with someone who had broken into my house standing over me with the baseball bat, thanking me for the weapon before he just viciously beats me. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Um so, and by the way, Trump came out today and said this is a pure act of evil, and he's traveling to Vegas on Wednesday. Um, I, 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 he's handled, I guess, okay. I mean, he hasn't screwed up yet, I guess, is the most we can say. Um, I don't even think – does the president have to go to Vegas? I mean, I guess he does as a show of support, but I feel with all this going on, the president coming in is just one more thing they have to deal with. Well, if we look historically at some of the previous events, certainly in the Obama administration, I mean, he went to Sandy Hook shortly after it happened there. He yeah, went yeah. to Arizona when Gabby Giffords was shot. So it, it is in a sign of solidarity and to try to bring some uh, stability and some calm uh, to the country. We want to see our president there. But, you know, it remains to be seen what exactly will happen when Donald Trump goes to Las Vegas. When he opens his mouth, what will come out? And we've seen a track record recently of, you know, him putting his foot in his mouth. And will he go there and actually show care and concern for the victims and the families of these uh, people, the shooting victims in Las Vegas? Or will he talk about his investments in Las Vegas and, and how it has affected them? It remains to be seen, really does. It'll be ridiculous that he will speak out against the Constitution when it comes to freedom of speech and football players not wanting to stand for the national anthem. But I'm sure he'll champion the Constitution when it comes to Second Amendment rights and gun ownership. Mm. A la carte constitutionism. Yeah. And again, I, I, I don't want it. We crap on the president enough. I don't mean to do it before he's done anything. It's just we've seen how things have gone in the last uh, six, seven, eight months. And we just expect the worst. Um, to use a Vegas term, we're playing the odds. <laughs> yes, exactly. And unfortunately, this administration usually comes up snake eyes. Um, to a more uplifting story, North Korea. Um, hey, hey, all right. Um, Who would have thought that would be more uplifting? 
Trump continues to conduct foreign policy on Twitter. Uh, this time he was telling, telling Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to stop trying to negotiate with North Korea. He tweeted out that I told Rex Tillerson that he is wasting time uh, trying to negotiate with Little Rocket Man. Save your energy, Rex. will do what needs to be done. Being nice to Rocket Man hasn't worked in 25 years. Why would it work now? Clinton failed, Bush failed, and Obama failed. I won't fail. Well, it seems like he may not realize that Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il are different people because they haven't been dealing with, quote-unquote, little Rocket Man for 25 years. Yeah, Kim Jong-un has only been in power since December of 2011 when his father passed. So, yeah, it would concern me that Donald Trump isn't really aware of who he's dealing with. But, you know, the idea of conducting foreign policy through Twitter, it speaks right to the the biggest problem, at least in my opinion, with the current generation, that they, they lack the ability to effectively communicate actual communication, sincere communication with another human being in person. Everything is done through the Internet, through social media. And that takes away the personalization. You dehumanize the person who you're talking to because you don't actually have to stare them in the face. And that's exactly what this situation needs right now. We heard that from more than one person. We were walking around our, na- our town knocking on doors this weekend. So this is, this is a problem throughout the country and probably throughout the globe. Uh, well, you know, I also want to throw in there that we mentioned that the president said it hasn't worked in 25 years. And I would beg to differ. According to the Arms Control Association, which is a nonprofit uh, organization that looks into, you know, uh, nuclear disarmament, things like that, the idea that it never works may not be true. Between 1994 and 2002, North Korea and the United States had agreed on the what was called Agreed Framework, in which North Korea committed to freezing their illicit plutonium weapons program in exchange for aid from the United States. So while that didn't last forever, it lasted for a good chunk of time, from 1994 to 2002. I mean, Obama hasn't gone off yet. That's a that's a plus. Exactly. So I would I would argue that it has worked. We just have to continue with the negotiations. We may have to revamp them from time to time. Each time we get a new president. And that's the problem with Donald Trump. We all know that he's a bully when he's on Twitter. He's a bully when he's standing behind a podium. But when he comes face to face with these people, he always kind of just gives in or caves. Um, he was really just pissed off at Tillerson because you know, Trump has been talking trash about North Korea for a while, about how he's going to get tough with them. And Tillerson this week uh, said that he was going to reach out to them and try to start a new dialogue. Can't do that. Um, how dare Tillerson go against Trump's wishes? So, you know, screw diplomacy. We're cutting off talks. Um, and some people have been talking, some veteran diplomats, saying they can't remember the last time a president undermined Secretary of State so brazenly in the midst of such a nutty, crazy situation. Um, the question is, will, will Tillerson last, or is he going to go the way of the rest of the OG Trump administration? Well, I can't imagine why he'd want to stay. If he doesn't have the support of his boss, You know, how effective can he be? What exactly can he accomplish? And if it were me, yeah, I'd be out the door myself. It's amazing because there's not many people left who, uh, who I guess Trump had there. I mean, his big talk was about uh, you know clearing out the swamp, draining the swamp. He's shown that the people that he's put in power in his administration are just as swampy as the, as the rest of them. Um, Tillerson, for any of his faults, I guess hasn't been that bad, you know, compared to some of the other people in the administration. Um, but it's it's just amazing. Who wants to take 
the jobs if when these guys are fired, knowing they can be fired just as quickly. Um, we've seen members of Congress leave their safe positions. We'll talk about it in a little bit, and and take jobs in the administration only to be fired a couple months later and then be screwed basically. Right. It would seem that some of these guys might be a little too opportunistic. You know, and you're referring uh, to Tom Price, who we'll talk about uh, yeah. a little bit later. Uh, you know, to sell out what would be a safe spot in Congress uh, and a place where you can effectively legislate and, and go and join Team Trump to, you know, advance your career. But uh, how much advancement are you really going to have when the, the women fancy of the commander in chief is so fly by night? Sometimes it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. But uh, yeah, these guys are so power hungry. So Trump didn't stop there with his tweets. So he went to war with the <laughs> war with the mayor of San Juan. So he's handled this entire Puerto Rico issue poorly. As we all know, Puerto Rico was really just devastated, absolutely devastated uh, by the hurricane. And the, the island is just in dire need of relief. Um, so when San Juan mayor... And excuse me if I'm not uh, saying this correctly to any of our uh, Hispanic or Puerto Rican uh, listeners. Carmen Yulin Cruz, does that sound right? I, I may be wrong, but I believe it might be something more along the lines of Julin, because a Y in Spanish is pronounced like a J, but you know, I, I haven't actually heard the, the pronunciation myself, so I could be wrong. Well, that's why we keep you around, Kevin. So I, I'm just going to call her Mayor Cruz. Then there's no problem. So um, Mayor Cruz has pretty much criticized the federal relief effort. Um, she said that, to quote her, uh, we are dying and you're killing us with your inefficiency. I'm begging, begging anyone that can hear us to save us from dying. Um, I've seen pictures of Puerto Rico and I can't understand why anybody would be mad at her saying that statement. I mean, there's flooding. There literally are people dying. There's no power. Uh, there's no water. And, and Trump just wasn't happy with that response to her. And over the weekend, uh, tweeted back, the mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by the Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. Such poor leadership ability by the mayor of San Juan and others in Puerto Rico who are just not able to get their workers help. So basically all this crap he blames on Puerto Rico. Uh, it, it's despicable. It really is. Right. It's more of the, you know, the kiss the ring BS nonsense that he's all about, the show loyalty to him, that, that we should bow down before he from the great and mighty throne. But that's not how the American presidency works. That's not how democracy works. And Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States. And therefore, these are United States citizens. And for him to treat citizens of his country with such uh, distaste and disdain is, you know, unforgivable. I saw something today from Steven Mnuchin. Who, uh, he said that she hit him, so he hit her back. When you're president, you have to be above that kind of nonsense. You realize that maybe she's in a time of stress, a time of you know, utter despair. Maybe you let it go that she's being a little testy towards you. You're the president. You should have to be above these things. Right, and that seems to be the common refrain every time the president you know, has words with somebody. Well, they started it. What? This is not a schoolyard. You're not a 10-year-old. Although, you know, if, if you look at the presidency, I, I maybe I don't know if I can argue uh, for that. He does seem to act like a 10-year-old. <laughs> right, it's playground politics most of the time. But but could you imagine Bush treating Giuliani this way? Or, or the, was it uh, Nagin? Was he the, the mayor of, uh, of New Orleans after Katrina? You, you don't bash these people where they're trying to handle a crisis. You offer a hand and give them anything they need. Well, in his mind, it's okay because she's a Hispanic female. <laughs> 
So of, what of does she matter? Yeah, nothing. I mean, he he likes the governor of uh, Puerto Rico, just not the woman mayor. Uh, and then he said, the outside of the fake news of politically motivated ingrates, people are now starting to recognize the amazing work that has been done by FEMA and our great military. All buildings now inspected for safety. Again, he's more important with the perception that he's winning than actually winning. Well, you know, I've I've got in my life several Puerto Rican friends and colleagues and people I've known over the years. And, and one of them uh, this past week, actually, uh, I happened to read it off of her Facebook post, but they she made the point that, you know, this could come back to bite the president because Puerto Ricans are American citizens and as such, they vote. And so regardless of whether they stay in Puerto Rico or if they relocate, especially if they relocate to states on the mainland, they immediately have the right to vote. They don't have to become citizens. These are not Mexicans or Central Americans that Trump uh, downplays and calls bad hombres. These are American citizens who will immediately have the opportunity to vote should Trump make it to 2020. And, you know, after mistreating 3.4 million people on the island, not to mention, you know, or hurting uh, the feelings of those Puerto Ricans already in the United States, you know, that's a major constituency that could cost him reelection. So, whether or not he's paying attention to that, I don't know. It would certainly wouldn't seem that way, but um, that could really hurt him in 2020. Well, just think back to 2016 and how close Florida was, and Trump ended up winning Florida. But if a lot of these uh, people from Puerto Rico end up moving to moving to America, they may end up in Florida, and they may be the votes that push it blue again and screw him in the next election, kind of like you just said. So just think, I mean, there are 3.4 million people in Puerto Rico right now who are struggling to get clean water, fuel, electricity, other basic supplies. They're struggling to live. And, and, you know, as I've said a million times, I don't mean to keep beating a dead horse. Trump is more concerned with his ego. Um, And let's not forget, though, that he blamed them almost immediately for their poor infrastructure, their massive debt, quote unquote, um, for their current crisis. Again, he's too busy passing the buck, you know, the buck stop, who was it, was it, was it your boy FDR who said the buck stops with me? Um, actually, I think that was Truman. Ah, close enough, you know, it's within a couple of years of each other, it's fine with me. Um, he also has made some bizarre statements, Trump, not Truman, sorry, um, about Puerto Rico and the crisis. The other day he said, this is an island surrounded by water, big water, ocean water. Like, what? What are ocean you even talking about? water. Yeah, well, I understand now why this is a problem. The, the big biggest ocean, ocean, period. Yeah, you know, forget what they say about the Pacific. No way. The Caribbean is the biggest, period. Uh, so people, uh, Bernie Sanders is taking the fight to Trump. Uh, he said, you know, it's unspeakable. I don't know what world Trump is living in. Uh, he says that we all have to remember that people of Puerto Rico, just as you were saying, are American citizens and are entitled to the same help as any other community in America. Um, but, you know, these are people who are not white, who are not in Trump states that voted for him. So it seems like he just doesn't give a crap. Yeah, and more importantly, it's it's just it's surrounded by water, big, big water. And we simply have no way to get supplies over that water. Let that be a warning to you, Hawaii. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that those uh, Trump ties and all the other Trump-endorsed products were able to make it to the United States. You know, the ones that were made in China across mm-hmm. that big, big water. But it was made from a big, big country, so it counteracts. Oh, big, big countries understand. have big, big boats to put on the big, big water. I get Obvious, it. Obviously. Obviously. 
Um, so we alluded to this a little earlier. Uh, Tom Price, he resigned from his position. And we've discussed actually in previous episodes, um, just a number of officials of, in the Trump administration have been taking a lot of crap uh, for the military and private planes they've been using for travel. It's been causing the tax, costing the taxpayers a lot of money. Um, Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin, uh, Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke, uh, head of the EPA Scott Pruitt, and of course – Tom Price, a good old friend, Tom Price, and they finally, finally caught up with him. Um, you know, that's what happens when you rack up over $400,000 bills, you know, 400, I mean, that's, that's not draining the swamp. That's saying, screw the people, bring on the swamp. Did those my did those come with frequent flyer miles, all those hours in the planes? And, you know, Can you they donate those? Peanuts. No, yeah, you get pretzels these days, but if you want more, they gotta, you got to pay for it. And, and no cash, only charge. That's true. Peanuts have too many allergens these days. I do love the peanuts on the planes. Oh, well. I actually like taking the JetBlue, get the blue potato chips. They're the best. Uh, But it didn't help, by the way, that Trump blames blames Price for the failure of the repeal and replace of ACA. Um, I mean, I I partially blame Price. He didn't really do much for that, but I partially blame Trump, too. And I put a lot of blame on Congress for just putting together a bunch of crappy bills. But I think Price's days may have been numbered just because Trump, he likes to have heads roll when things don't go his way. And now that the ACA repeal is, can I say dead? Whenever I say that, it just keeps coming back like a zombie. But um, We may never know for sure. But. No, but but now that it's dead, uh, it, Price had to pay the price. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Well, as we all know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So these guys who give up safe seats in Congress for their own uh, personal career motives and you know the the name and the head and the big lights—it's well, this is a natural consequence. If you don't play by the rules, if you break the American trust, if you break that social contract that we have with our government, and you abuse your power, well, then there's a price to be paid. Pun intended. <laughs> and how many weeks did we talk about the whole John Ossoff uh, trying to win and ultimately losing uh, the seat that was given up by Price? That How much money was spent there and wasted there where if Price had just stayed there and never gone to HHS, it never would have been a thing to, to worry about? Good point. Uh, oh, well, so you know, he'll, he'll go you know, become a lobbyist somewhere and make lots of money. Good, good for him, I guess. I don't know. <sighs> a recurring theme – on this podcast, as I mentioned a second ago, these things just come back from the dead, or they, they go away, they come back. You never know whether they're actually truly gone. Tax reformers popped up. I, I think it's months ago at this point that we talked about their initial tax reform plan. So Trump has finally gotten back around to tax reform now that health care reformers could put. We'll see if this goes any better. Uh, I was reading an article today, actually, by the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center. Uh, they reviewed the recent GOP plan. And I'm not sure I like uh, the conclusions they came to. Let me just break it down a little bit. Uh, In 2018, all income groups would see their average taxes fall. That's good. Um, But some in that each group would see them increase. So, you know, we could be in the same group, Kevin. Mine could go down, you could go up. I'd be happy, you'd be pissed. Um, and that's that's not good at all. Um, those with the highest incomes would receive the biggest tax cuts. What what surprise, what 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 surprise. what? Yeah, no, this is this is for the middle class. This is for the lower class. Screw the upper class. I mean, I was watching a video today of Trump saying, you know, all the rich people can call me. 
But it's not going to matter. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm doing the right thing. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Reminds me of a bumper sticker I once saw plastered on the back of a stop sign on my route to work that I took for about five years. It said, F austerity tax the rich. <laughs> oh, you know, I, th- I think we have to go watch uh, Robin Hood again. You know, rob the rich, feed the poor type thing. Uh, in 2018, taxpayers in the bottom 95% would see an average tax uh, decrease. Well, by the way, it's an average after-tax income. Um, they, they'd be getting basically between half a percent and 1.2% more money um, than they would right now. Uh, but taxpayers in the top 1%, those are incomes above $730,000, would see their after-tax income increase by 8.5%. So the difference between half a percent and 8.5% for the rich, again, who are you fooling? I mean, maybe it's one of those things where um, they think poor people or people in the middle class will get anything back and they'll be so happy that they got a bone they won't pay attention to the fact that the rich people are getting much, much more money back. And I'm not trying to crap on rich people. I understand a lot of them work hard too. But the fact that they get that you know 8% more uh, in their tax rebate, it's, it's insane. It's ridiculous. Well, to quote Aerosmith – the same old story, same old song and dance. You know, why are we surprised by this? Why are we surprised that politicians, especially those from the Republican Party, would propose a tax reform bill that would benefit the rich and rake over the middle class and the poor? They tell us every single time this is going to be good for the middle class, and it never is. Between 2018 and 2027, the average tax cut would fall for almost all income groups except for the top 1%. They would get to keep their tax cut. Isn't that spiffy? And in 2027, taxpayers between the 80th and 95th percentiles of income, that's between 150000 and 300000 would experience a slight tax increase. So, you know, the well-off but not the uber-rich, you know, they get taxed a little bit, but, you know, the uber-rich get to keep their tax cut. Of course, because they need the money. It's trickle-down economics, don't you know? They get The rich people have the money. They employ more people. They create more jobs, and then everybody's happy, except for that hasn't been working out uh, well in the last 30 years or so. Yeah. <sighs> the, the plan would also – let me just go down the list here. The plan would also repeal the alternative minimum tax, which was designed to keep the wealthy taxpayers from using loopholes when they pay their taxes. Pretty much uh, designed with the president in mind back when it was put into place. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, reducing the number of tax brackets – from 7 to 3, uh, it'll be at 12, 25, and 35 percent. Um, increase the standard deduction from 12,000 uh, to $12,000 for single filers and 24000 to joint filers. I actually think that's an okay thing to have in there. Um, repeals all personal exemptions. Repeals most itemized deductions other than mortgage interest and charitable contributions. Repeals the estate tax, which only affects people who have more than $5.5 million. That alone would save Trump and his family millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Yes, again, because they need the money. Yeah, you got to have that money and hand it down to, to – I don't even know what Jared and Ivanka's kids' names are, but they're going to need the money too. 
Um, it also reduces corporate income tax from 35 to 20%. Blech. So uh, last week, Chief White House Economic Advisor Gary Cohen was asked, was asked about this, and he said that he can't guarantee the middle-income families won't pay more in taxes under the new federal proposal. Um, I can't guarantee anything. You always find a unique family somewhere. So it sounds like he's like, coming up with a ready-made excuse that uh, if, if your taxes go up, well, I told you not everybody would go down. Well, you know, to go back to your point about trickle-down economics, right, the, re- the reduction of the corporate income tax rate from 35 to 20 percent, okay, the, the textbook reason for that is, well, if we put more money back into the businesses' pockets, they'll be able to hire more workers, generate more uh, income and revenue, and pay people higher wages, and yada, 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 yada. <laughs> but when have we ever seen that work? You know, the more likely story is, you know, something like Enron, where they throw away everybody's money, they cook the books, they get out scot-free, the ownership, the, you know, the, the higher-ups, and then everybody else loses their life savings. Lots of golden parachutes going around for those higher-ups. Mm. And then back, we keep bringing him up, our friend, Tre- uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, refused to say on whether, uh, discuss whether Donald Trump would benefit from his own tax plan. I can't comment what the president will or won't do. Again, they're all, when asked the questions that people really want answered, they just fumble they bumble. They don't answer. It, it's sad. Anybody who reads this can tell that it's not good, though. Mnuchin dismisses the Tax Policy Institute's findings, saying, you know, they don't have all of the all of the information yet. Well, then why are you pushing this out to us if you're not sharing all the information with us yet? Well, I suppose they'd have to see Trump's tax returns first to know whether or not he'd benefit from it. Of course. And, you know, people actually have to write this crap up in Congress as legislation before we really know what's going on. And going down to last week's Alabama elections results. So last Tuesday, the uber, uber, uber conservative Roy Moore crushed the Trump McConnell-backed Luther Strange by 10 points. Uh, So he won the GOP Senate primary runoff election. Uh, Moore will now face uh, Democrat Doug Jones in December. Um, I'm out holding my breath for Dougie Jones there. Well, Democrats in Alabama feel like this is their best shot at taking that seat. Doug Jones is a former U.S. attorney who successfully prosecuted members of the Ku Klux Klan who infamously bombed the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham back in 1963, which killed four young girls. So, you know, this guy has some notoriety. He, he's done something good for humanity. And for the Democrats in Alabama, they feel like this is their champion. If, if not him, then who could potentially take that seat? But is he a real man, Kevin? Because more, he's a real man. He pulled out a revolver during his pre-election campaign rally last week. And that's only what real tough guys do. Right. In you know, this twisted, sick, perverted version of America with its gun culture. Yes. But uh, no, I'm not sure if Doug Jones is uh, prone to whipping out his gun uh, in public. <laughs> uh, that would be very rude if he did. But, you know, more would rather wear the cowboy hat, pull out the gun, play this character of a big uber conservative because he doesn't want you talking about how he was removed from the position of Chief Justice of Alabama Supreme Court because he refused to remove the monument of the Ten Commandments when he was ordered to do so, or how when he was somehow reelected, was suspended and forced to resign again uh, for directing probate judges to continue to enforce the state's ban on same-sex marriages despite the fact that it had been deemed unconstitutional. This guy doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about order. He just cares about pushing his own twisted beliefs. And I, I can't believe this dude may be one of a hundred senators. It's it's disgusting to me. Yeah, a real man of the law he is. So um, 
we can only hope that Doug Jones prevails. But as you said, it's it's going to be a tough fight. It's an uphill battle for him. And I wouldn't hold my breath uh, to see a Democrat taking that seat. Well, I'm sure the DNC will pump in a lot of money over the next few months. Uh, it is the December election, and, and we'll see how it goes from there. We'll give updates as, as it becomes available. Um, one quick thing I want to talk about, just like a minute, bear with me. You know, Last week, we talked about Spicer at the Emmys. Um, some people didn't like it. I thought it was great. Well, after that, I was watching uh, TMZ, as I've been known to do from time to time. I'm a little backed up on my TMZ viewing. And, t- and our friend Anthony Scaramucci was actually guest hosting an episode of TMZ. So I guess these guys, I mean, they're going to find their celebrity no matter where they can, no matter where they have to go, whether it's TMZ, whether it's the Emmys or, you know, who knows, Dancing with the Stars. You know, had you not brought him up, Jess, I I, I honestly had forgotten about the him. The mooch. <laughs> the memorable 10 days that was the, the Scaramucci. Well, he uh, pushes off and goes, you know what, it, it, it technically was 11. People say 10. They're taking a day away from me. You know, summer is always a downtime in Washington a little bit. You know, not, not as much of the exciting stuff happens then. So, uh, you know, sadly, that's when his uh, claim to fame came to an end. Well, now he has more time to spend with his newborn baby and estranged wife, uh, neither of which he saw, you know, after the uh, after the birth because he was too busy doing the nonsense for Donald Trump. All right, just get that nonsense out of the way. Kevin, what do you have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse... Each of our topics tonight, be it the Las Vegas massacre, the response to the devastation in Puerto Rico, or tax reform, share a common theme. As a people, we seem to be gradually losing our compassion and ability to empathize. Who are we, and when did we lose our way? We've been successful as a nation in part because of our ability to feel for others. It'd be a shame if we were to lose sight of that now. We must aim to get back to common sense and to strive to advance the common good. That is the point behind democracy. Responsible gun laws, compassion for those in need, and a fair tax code are a start, but nothing will change sustainably until we remember how to care for our neighbors as much as we care about ourselves. I think I can speak for both of us when I say our our love and our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in Las Vegas, everybody who's affected by the tragedy out there. And on a personal note, uh, my love and thoughts and prayers go out to Tom Petty, uh, not a political figure, but still a favorite singer of mine who had a massive I guess, heart attack today. And um, it was reported he was dead. Now it seems like he's still on life support, but it doesn't look good. Um, but, you know, I'll be thinking about all those people and, and hope for the best. Perhaps our, you know, our music going out tonight should be uh, Last Dance with Mary Jane. Yeah, if they, if they want to sue us for it, you know, let them come ahead. All right, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch you next time. Later. Baby, but I got to keep moving on.
Time to kill the 